Amen. Well, thank you for praying this morning. Uh, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. I'm thankful for the opportunity to join with many churches and to pray that way. I'm thankful for the thousands upon thousands of people who have gone to their state capitals, our nation's capital this week, and have prayed collectively together. Um, I am thankful for the work and the ministry that's being done throughout the nations for life, for foster care and adoption. Um, and man, I tell you, as God's people, recognizing that we are all created in the image of God, I hope and pray that we would all stand for life as well, recognizing that all are created in the image of God. Now, with that being said, I do want to make one more announcement before we jump into our text this morning. Um, being that we are image bearers of God, we also have the responsibility of training up the next generation to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And so with that, there is an opportunity now in our church uh, to join with our children's ministry um, and help teach our young people. And so if that is something that would interest you, um, if you are passionate about seeing the next generation being discipled according to the word, then we have a need here in our church. And so if you're interested in finding out more about that need, being one of our assistant teachers uh, for our children, please see Brianna at the end of the service. And so if we're going to be a people who pray, let's be a people who also faithfully walk and faithfully serve. And so uh, help us fill that need because I'm going to go ahead and tell you if you've not been paying attention, uh, the need for children teachers is going to grow in this church. Um, I have been praying for the Lord to faithfully grow our church and man, he is doing it in a way that I never anticipated. And uh, thanks be to God for his goodness. Uh, Rochelle, looking at you, it's so good to see you in that new little one. Uh, but anyway, I imagine there's going to be more to come along those lines, more announcements to be made. Um, I'm sure of it. Uh, I was actually joking with some pastor friends of mine this week, and I told them one thing I can rest in is I will never have to preach through the Songs of Solomon uh, because it is clearly covered here. And so thanks be to God for that. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, talk to your parents. This morning, we are walking through our series together in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And so I would ask you to, to join with me in Ruth chapter 2 this morning. Again, walking through uh, Ruth together as a faith family, uh, a series that I am excited about, a series that we have called uh, Daily Bread. This is our third week in this series, and we have been looking together really through Ruth itself as a historical narrative to really see how God and his grace and his goodness is constantly at work in our daily lives. And so this morning, we're going to go ahead and jump back into our text to see what the Lord now has in store for Ruth and in store for Naomi. And we're going to now be introduced to our third main character, which is Boaz himself, and uh, see how the Lord is going to use Boaz to continue to show his daily provision, to reveal his daily bread through covenant faithfulness. So this morning, I do want to tell you that due to the length of our text, we're going to go through all 23 verses of Ruth chapter 2. So due to the length of our text, we're actually going to take this passage in chunks together and then single out some verses together. So instead of doing what we normally do, which is what I enjoy, which is standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God, I'm just going to ask you right where you are uh, to stay seated because we're going to go ahead and jump right into the text and uh, get into the midst of what this passage uh, has for us today. And again, I want to 
remind you that our goal this morning is to see that even in the midst of what we believe is rock bottom, remember a week ago we talked about finding grace at rock bottom, we now know and believe that God is still working for our good, and it's God who is still working for his glory. So this morning, let's see God again at work at what can best be described as covenant faithfulness, okay? So, Set the scene for you, just to remind you where we've been for the past two weeks over Ruth chapter 1. By the time we got to the end of chapter 1, we saw uh, Naomi go from having a full life with a husband and two sons to then making a series of bad choices with her husband that would ultimately lead her and leave her within a state of emptiness with no one around her to help except her daughter-in-law's. Now, at this point in our text, Naomi has now made the decision to leave Moab, but she doesn't want Ruth or Orpah to return with her. You see, Naomi didn't want another mouth to feed. She didn't know what was going to happen to these foreigners when they arrived in the promised land. At the same time, we recognize that Naomi clearly didn't want the constant reminder of her failure, or the reminder of what she was now calling God's abandonment towards her family. Again, remember, it was Naomi who, by the time we arrived at the end of our passage last week, Naomi was blaming God for her new new lot in life. She believed in the midst of her pain and in the midst of her frustration that everything that had happened to her, the loss of her husband, the loss of her two children, the loss of everything was God's fault. And as we talked about last week, we talked about how we, in the midst of our own problems, we, in the midst of our own struggles, oftentimes, if we're not careful, we can often find ourselves handling our problems in the same way. You see, it's common for us, even as believers, to blame someone else for our problems. It's common, even as believers, to blame God, even though the reality is we're the one who created the mess. It's almost like we're like Adam in this moment. God, this woman who you created, did this. But the reality is it was our sin that led us to this point. Now, as we continued in our reading of Ruth 1, in an act of grace, it was Ruth who then made a passionate speech that showed that she would not ever leave Naomi's side. And so the two traveled back to the promised land. And we were left at the end of our text with the two of them arriving in Bethlehem on really a road that looked very bleak. However, as I said last week, let's look at the teaser that God gives us at the very end of Ruth in the second half of verse 22. He says, and they came to to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now again, remember, Naomi, in the midst of her darkness, in the midst of her bitterness, was missing the grace that was all around her. She was missing the grace that walked beside her in the form of Ruth. And now in the midst of her bitterness and her darkness, she was missing the grace and the abundance that now surrounded her as she arrived back in the promised land. You see, at this point in our text, the people of God had repented. They had turned back to God, away from their sin, and now the blessing of God was back upon the promised land. And yet it was still Naomi. As we get into the first part of Ruth chapter 2, she was still missing it. She wasn't seeing the blessing at all. In fact, I would argue many of us today, in the midst of our own bitterness, in the midst of our own frustrations, 
probably see things the way Naomi saw them. You see, in the midst of our own heartache and frustrations and anger and bitterness, we too begin to get angry. We too begin to grow in our anger that ultimately leads to growth in our worry. And then ultimately what we end up doing is we begin to play out worst case scenarios as we sit alone in our homes or as we put our head on our pillows at night. How many of us are are guilty of doing that? Don't raise your hand. How many of us have thought after a conversation, man, the next time I see that person, I'm going to tell them this. And then they're going to say this, to which I'm going to rebut this. And then they're going to humbly bow before me. I don't know what that noise was, but praise be to God. Did anybody else hear that? Somebody just humbly bowed behind this wall. I don't know what that was. (laughs) Where's Jonathan? If something comes out, you got me, bro, right? Okay, good. Okay. Didn't plan that at all. You see, it's in these moments of our own darkness and our own bitterness that we, in the midst of our scenario playing, we fail to see God. We miss what God is doing all around us. We miss the fact that in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our bitterness, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of our anger, we miss the fact that God is the one who is still right beside us. It is Jesus Christ who, in his grace, walks with us as we continue to be sanctified. Can I just give you a truth this morning already before we jump into our text? God does not promise to give us the grace to survive all the possible scenarios that we can dream up in our minds. He doesn't do that. Rather, what God does do is he gives us the grace to make it through whatever it is that he actually brings into our lives. You see, most of us worry. And what ends up happening is, in the end, we find out that that worry that we made up in our mind, that scenario that we made up in our mind, was never a part of God's plan from the beginning. In other words, the worry and the scenario building that we play in our minds really is a complete wasted work. And as if you didn't know that, remember it was in the Gospels that Jesus Christ actually tells us as much in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27, when he says, In which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In other words, Jesus teaches us why worry about what it is that you cannot control. Why worry about that which hasn't even happened? Well, this is where we find Naomi. And so coming back into our text, we see Naomi and Ruth, upon reading Ruth chapter 2, actually have a very pressing issue in front of them. It's the issue of what to eat. And this is where we begin to see God's covenant faithfulness to Ruth and Naomi and to his people. So just begin reading with me. We're in Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the text says. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, 
Again, let's pause there because we need to know that in the law of Moses, there was a provision that was made for the poor uh, to be able to earn some type of grain and some sort of food uh, through really a welfare to work type of program. They were allowed to glean or better yet to gather leftover grain or fallen grapes or fallen fruit after the harvest had taken place around the edges of the field. In fact, when you go back and read Leviticus chapter 19 and again in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you'll see that the farmers were actually required to leave the edges of their fields unharvested so that the poor could gather some sort of grain to eat and use it um, as a way to possibly make a living with what it is that they had gathered. Now, again, I want us to think about this for a moment because this was actually a part of the covenant that the people made with God back at Mount Sinai, but this is not something that's actually required of our farmers today. However, I do believe that the general principle here behind the covenant is something that I think our society today would do well to apply in order to help out our own poor. We are constantly seeking to find ways to help out the poor around us. And here is an opportunity. Think about the wasted food that we have leaving our restaurants. Think about the, the wasted food we even have leaving our homes. Imagine what it would look like if we could put that food to use and to good work. I digress. Coming back to the text, we see that Ruth goes to the field to glean. Now, gleaning was hard work. Gleaning was actually hot work. And as if it wasn't hard and hot enough, Ruth was going as a foreigner. She was going as a, as a Moabite woman. So if something were to happen to her, if someone attacked Ruth in the midst of her work, she had no clan connections that would protect her from being attacked. So I want us to see in the first two verses that Ruth is taking an incredible step of faith. She is making herself vulnerable for the sake of herself and for the sake of her mother-in-law. And she was hoping to land in a field with a generous, God-fearing landowner. In fact, one scholar describes Ruth in this moment uh, in a particular way. He says, faith doesn't simply sit around waiting for provision to drop down from heaven. Rather, we are called to do what we can, and as we do, to trust that God will provide for our needs. Now, Christians, we need to pay attention to these first two verses and, and what several scholars have said at this point, because the reality is this. I see too many brothers and sisters sitting in their homes doing absolutely nothing waiting on God. I see too many brothers and sisters sitting in our churches doing absolutely nothing. And what are we doing? We're waiting on God. We are waiting for some sort of exotic opportunity just to fall into our laps. I want to make sure I wasn't going to hear another boom. Maybe, maybe we're waiting like we sing, Lord, I will wait for you. And, and we don't sing that song in terms of actually, no, Lord, we are, we are going to work and faithfully serve and faithfully give, and we are waiting upon your return. Rather, I think some of us sing that song and say, Lord, here I am this one day of the week, and I am waiting on you to drop something awesome on me. And the reality is this, when you read the word of God, we are not called to simply sit around and wait. We are called to do what the word says. And we are called to let our faithful God take care of the rest. Let me, let me simplify this for, for all of us for just a moment. Work where the Lord has planted you. Okay? God has you here for a reason. Work. Serve where the Lord has you. God has you here for a reason. Serve Him. 
Now, again, coming back to the text, there is now no mention as to why Naomi herself didn't go to work the field as well. So the reality is we can, we can know that if Naomi would have gone with Ruth, the two of them together would have actually probably been more safe than just Ruth going by herself. If Naomi had gone with Ruth at this point, chances are the two of them probably would have collected more food together than they would as an individual. So we have to assume at this point for Naomi that she is probably still overcome with her own grief and overcome with her own bitterness that she has now become paralyzed to doing anything else. Now, church, I want us to hear that because here's the reality. If this is true of Naomi, then let's learn from her this morning. Church, I want to tell you, it is easy for us to sink into inactivity when we stop believing in God's goodness and grace. It is easy to sink into inactivity when we become too consumed with our own doubts, when we become too consumed with our own worries, when we become too consumed with our own frustrations. It's easy for us to become paralyzed when we sit in a service and we begin wondering, am I even supposed to be here? Why are we so focused on those things when the reality is we should be thinking upon God's goodness? when we should be thinking upon God's grace. Remember, Scripture teaches us whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is worthy, whatever is lovely, think upon these things. You see, here's the reality for us this morning. The key to breaking the cycle of paralyzation due to our worry is clinging to God's covenant faithfulness to do us good for His glory. Now, coming back to the text and God's faithfulness, we're going to see that that Ruth actually encounters a God-honoring landowner. Verse 3, it says this, So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was one of the clan of Elimelech. Now, again, what I want us to notice in verse 3 from the ESV is this word, happened, okay? That's probably one of the more important words in in verse 3 at this moment because the narrator is now telling us that it wasn't some sort of dumb luck that Ruth ended up in the field and Boaz was there. It wasn't some sort of chance encounter that Ruth was working in the field that was owned by Boaz. Rather, what the narrator is telling us is verse 3 is that this was actually providential. This was divine appointment orchestrated by God. It's the same thing we read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Ruth trusted the Lord, and it was the Lord who directed her steps to the exact right location. And as if, and as if that wasn't good enough, God would continue to ordain this moment. He is the one who brought Boaz to the fields to see how the fields were progressing which would have been unheard of for a wealthy landowner. Normally, a servant would come report to them, and if there were problems, they would then show up, but not for Boaz. He wanted to be there. God ordained it for him to be there. And then look at what happens next, beginning in verse 4. We read, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back, from, uh, came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Because I want you to pay attention to something. If you, if you read your Bible outside of church, you'll begin to notice that a person's first words can actually tell you something significant about them. In fact, if you go back and look at Boaz's first words in verse 4, he says, the Lord be with you. And then notice the response of his servants. They say back to him, the Lord bless you. Clearly, what we can learn about Boaz just in this brief encounter is that Boaz honors the Lord with his work. And because of the way he honors the Lord, it is the workers who respect him for it. So Boaz in this moment sees a woman who is new amongst the poor. And he asks who she is, to which one of the men in charge tells him who she is and, and how she's been working so hard throughout the day without stopping, with the exception for a short rest. Now again, we're setting the scene for watching God provide for Ruth in this moment. Notice what happens next, because what happens next is completely unheard of due to Ruth being a foreigner and Boaz being a wealthy landowner. Pick up the story with me in verse 8. We read, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you see what just happened to Ruth in this moment? For the first time since entering the promised land, Ruth hears encouraging words. She hears words of prayer, words of a blessing that, that made her almost seem like she had been a part of this covenant community all along. So Boaz, in the midst of this conversation, recognizes Ruth's commitment to Naomi, recognizes Ruth's willingness to leave her home and all that she knows to be familiar in order to honor the covenant that she had now made to Naomi. And so Boaz prayed for the Lord to bless her and to protect her as she seeks to honor this commitment she has now made. And then we get to verse 13. And Ruth responds by saying, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And brothers and sisters, please don't miss what we are learning in the midst of this conversation. The one who came seeking Israel's God for the first time in the midst of honoring her commitment finally found that there may be a place for her amongst the followers of God. So we have to ask ourselves this morning as believers, when people come into our midst, 
people we don't know, or maybe people who we've known well. How well, as believers in Jesus Christ, do we make them feel welcomed? How well do we do as a faith family when it comes to opening our hearts and opening our homes to welcome people in the same way that Boaz welcomed Ruth, in the same way that Jesus Christ welcomed us into the family of God? Now again, looking at the text, Boaz's kindness was not limited to his words of prayer or blessing. Notice that he continues to, to bless Ruth by in, inviting her to sit closer at the mealtime with the other reapers. Verse 14, he says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. So notice we don't have just a, a word of blessing anymore, but rather Boaz now offers her a close seat at the table. Boaz, a wealthy landowner, invites a foreigner to the table to share in his own food. And once she had finally had enough to eat, she still had food left over. Now we read this and we think this is really an odd concept because the truth is, I don't know if many of us have gone hungry ever in this room. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we might start missing eggs here over the next couple months because of the price of them. But the reality is, I don't think any of us have ever gone hungry. I don't think many of us have ever struggled with not having enough food in our home. However, for a foreign widow who was poor, who had nothing but simple blind faith and trust, she ended up having so much food to eat that there was food left over. We have a parallel to this in the Gospels, by the way, when Jesus feeds the thousands. Pick your story, right? We see the same parallel. This was a blessing from God. But here's the reality. God's covenant faithfulness wasn't done. The blessing was not about to stop. The, the prayer and the blessing was there. The being invited to the table was there. And so Boaz not only blesses her and feeds her until she's full, he's going to take this one step further. Look with me at verse 15. It says that when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Again, watch God and his covenant faithfulness continue to pour out provision upon provision upon provision to Ruth and now just reveal it to Naomi. Now, we are told in this text that she gleaned an ephah of barley, which I don't know if many of us can ever visualize that. I imagine most of us in our Bibles, we probably look at the word ephah, we go to the back of the Bible at the measurements and tables, and then it kind of gives us some sort of measurement. And I know if you're like a math teacher or a former math teacher, or you deal with math on a regular basis, you get this moment. This is your moment, right? For the rest of us, the other 90% of us, 
you may not have any idea what an ephah is. In fact, I don't imagine any of us are going to the restaurant today and ordering an ephah of food. I can't imagine that's happening, all right? So to give it some perspective, Ruth literally went home with anywhere from 29 to 50 pounds of grain. This would have been several weeks worth of food for the average worker in her day. Okay, let's pause and take stock of this moment again, believers. Do we welcome people in the same way that Boaz welcomed Ruth? Do we pray for them? Do we offer for them to join us at the table? Do we offer for them to join us in our homes? Do we seek to bless them? I mean, Boaz had compassion on Ruth. He took the time to to build a relationship with Ruth. He paid the cost of her provision out of his own pocket. And so again, I got to ask ourselves, do we as believers today show this same kind of compassion for the Lord or for the others, people who the Lord has brought into our lives? I mean, because here's my prayer, right where the Lord has us is that we would be a people who would show this same type of compassion and the same type of grace for those that the Lord has now brought into our midst. My prayer is that we would show this same kind of care for one another and the same kind of care for those who are in need who may come and join us. But again, let's pay attention because the story is not over yet. Notice what else is said in the second half of verse 19. We read, So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Again, look at the text and see that Ruth now brings home an amazing blessing of food. And not just food for a day, we're talking food for weeks to come. And all of a sudden, in a brief moment, we see Naomi in bitterness be reminded of the goodness of God and ultimately be reminded of his covenant faithfulness. She says in verse 20, in verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. The he being blessed by the Lord is Boaz himself. But then the second half of that verse says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now I want us to pay attention because in the second half of that verse, Naomi's not talking about Boaz. She's talking about the Lord. She's saying of the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living. The Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the dead. Notice that in spite of her history of sin, her history of rebellion, her history of bitterness, it was God who was still willing to reveal his covenant faithfulness to Naomi. Again, Ruth's one-day outing. A day that she left with nothing. She stepped out in faith. 
And she came home by evening and was full of food, all due to God's providential plan. Faith family, I want us to see in this moment that for Ruth and Naomi, God had provided them with daily bread. He blessed them with an abundance. Even in the midst of Naomi's bitterness, it was God who was saying, I am not done with you. Man, brothers and sisters, did y'all just hear that? Christians, did you just hear that? I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know what struggle you're going through. I don't know what heartache you're going through. Several of you call me and we pray together and I understand that you're dealing with, with confusion and stress and frustration and heartache and uncertainty. And sometimes we just don't know what the next day is going to hold. And sometimes you call and you say, Pastor, I don't know what tomorrow holds. And all I can offer you at that moment is to say this. I don't know what tomorrow holds either, but I know my God. And I also know this. I know that if God was not done with Naomi, what makes you think he's done with you? Can you just rest in that hope for a moment? And the fact that no matter where you find yourself in life right now, even if you're just simply frustrated because you feel for whatever reason that God is just far away from you for whatever reason. Can I say something to you this morning? God is not far away from you. He's right beside you. And guess what? God is not done with you. Now again, I want us to look at the text again and see that in speaking of the Lord, Naomi points out, whose kindness has not forsaken the living. Now this word living is actually important because if you do a word study, you find that the word is actually in the plural form. Now we may hear that and think, well, why is that a big deal? But pay attention because now for the first time since leaving Moab, now for the first time since arriving in the promised land, Ruth has been included again as a part of Naomi's family. She has been prayed over. She has been blessed. She has been offered a seat at the table, Ruth. She has been given an abundance of blessing. She went home and by God's grace was used to help restore the faith of Naomi. And now all of a sudden, she's not just feeling like she's a part of the covenant community. She is reminded that she is a part of the covenant community. Naomi says to her, you are a part of my family. Now the text continues from there. And, and man, I want to go ahead and tell you, if I, got, if I got to tell you this, then I'll tell you this. Please see the parallels in what we're seeing between Boaz and Ruth and how it compares to what Jesus Christ has said to us. Please bear that in mind. But notice in our text, Naomi then tells Ruth that Boaz is not only a close relative, but he's also one of uh, our redeemers. Now, this was actually an important phrase because during Naomi's day, there were, there were kinsmen redeemers who were obligated to help care for all of the family. They were leaders in the family, and so they had to care for everyone, including people like Naomi. However, what we learn from this narrative is that Boaz didn't do any of this out of obligation, but rather he did it because he had a heart that had been touched by the covenant faithfulness of God. That's why he was able to even go to his fields and say to his own workers, may the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. And they answered him back and may the Lord bless you as well. Now, again, we have used the phrase covenant faithfulness a lot in today's passage. And I want to tell you, I didn't originate that passage. This is coming from several scholars over several resources that I've been reading in preparation of Ruth. But let me define what I'm talking about at this point about covenant faithfulness. 
You see, covenant faithfulness describes the love. It describes the grace, the mercy, the kindness, and the devotion that flows from a covenant relationship with God. It describes loyalty. And it describes faithfulness that goes far beyond duty and obligation. You see, Boaz's response to Ruth is a reminder of the kindness and the mercy and the grace and the love that God has shown us. Thus, it should be our response back to God and back to one another. You see, we're not at church. I'm going to unpack this for a moment. You're not here today out of obligation. And if you are, can I just be the first to maybe tell you you're here for the wrong reason? We're here because of the faithfulness of God that has been shown to us and revealed to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And because of His grace, His kindness, His goodness, and His mercy, and His love, in covenant faithfulness with Him, we should desire to be here because we want to worship the One who has blessed us. We want to worship the One who has given us new life. We want to worship the One who has promised us life to come. I mean, why else are we here? We come back to the text and we see that Boaz becomes the means that God now has shown his covenant faithfulness to Ruth, but also to Naomi. Naomi then tells Ruth, coming back to the text, to stay close to the young women and to go back to the same field that you work, lest you be assaulted. Now, literally pay attention to what Naomi is saying in this moment. She's saying, listen, Ruth, Learn from me. Learn from my mistakes. Learn from my choices. Stay in the fields where the Lord's blessing rests. Don't wander off. Don't wander off to to greener pastures like I did. Notice how Naomi has come full circle at this point. Being reminded of the faithfulness of God. And then being able to look at her daughter and say, my child, learn from me. Stay where God is at work. Stay and work and watch the blessing of God unfold. Now, again, I want to take a step back as we close for a moment. And I want us to see a big picture item again. So this is kind of uh, extra sermon to the sermon. Are you ready? All right, this is, this is for free. Okay. I want us to pay attention how God's clock is always ticking throughout this story. And here's what I mean by that. If you go back and look at uh, chapter 1, verse 22, we see that Ruth and Naomi arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. You may think, means nothing, right? Well, this was actually the time of Passover. So notice what a great time for Ruth and Naomi to now arrive back from their exodus in Moab. They they arrived at the Passover to the promised land. So by the time we now get to the end of chapter 2, seven weeks have now passed, and it was now the time of first fruits, or a part of the Feast of Weeks, or better yet, what we know as the Pentecost. Now why would this be so important for us? Because Ruth and Naomi have experienced the first fruits of God's deliverance in the gift of Boaz's grain. 
And yet, Ruth and Naomi have not yet fully experienced the goodness that God has planned for them. And so by the time we get to the end of chapter 2, Ruth's incorporation into God's people by both Boaz and now Naomi is foreshadowing of a much greater harvest that God has in store for the nations through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I mean, come on. Read the Bible. Yeah, I'm I'm just blown away by how it parallels. I mean, look at Ruth, tied to the Gospels. Let's go. (sighs) I hope this story encourages you as much as it's encouraged me. And Christian, I want you to hear this morning. Don't just hear that God's clock is ticking. If you just heard that and that's all you heard, you missed the big picture item. Rather, what I want you to hear is this. Whether you may find yourself, wherever you may find yourself, wherever that is, and I don't know where you find yourself today. Some of you I do, some of you don't. I want you to remember this this morning. Remember that God's timing, like we have just seen in our story, God's timing is always perfect. Can I just say something that you know to be true, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it? Trust his timing. In God's perfect timing, there is a day that is coming. Whereas sons and daughters of the Most High King, a day is coming where groaning and pain will turn to joy. A day is coming where sickness and sorrows will cease. A day is coming where we will be welcomed into His kingdom as a part of the family of God. And that's what we see as we wrap up Ruth chapter 2. But man, won't God do it? Continue to pay attention as if this wasn't enough of a reminder of the joy and the blessing of God that was to come. Notice how chapter 2 ends with yet another teaser to what is to come. I mean, literally, you almost have this moment, and I'm reading into this way too much. I get that. You almost have this moment where God's literally saying, hey, you thought that was good. Oh, oh, wait. Just Wait. It's going to get better, okay? That's kind of, it's kind of like when, you watch, when your kids have a birthday and you watch them open a gift. If you're like us, we're kind of, I'm, kind of, I'm selfish about this. This is me, more me than my wife. I like for them to open the, like the, the smaller gifts first. And then I, in my mind, I have it in my mind already planned out which one I know they think is going to be awesome, okay? And so I like to save that one for last because I'm like, hey, you thought that was good? Wait, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Praise be to God. It's going to get better, right? This is where we find ourselves at the end of chapter 2. Look at the second half of verse 23 where it says this. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And you may think, how in the world is that any better? I would never live with my mother-in-law. Okay? Your mother-in-law is not as cool as mine. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. If that's how you feel. But pay attention to what's actually being said in the text. Ruth, in her day, had one more need. Ruth, in her day, at her age, it was a part of the blessing in order to be married. And so we are left in a moment with the question of how will God in his covenant faithfulness meet this need for her in her day? How is he going to bless her next? And yet the reality is this. We're going to soon see that God has a plan for what is next for Ruth. Now, if you're in here and you're single and you just heard that God is going to bless you with marriage one day, you heard the wrong thing. Okay? What you should hear from Ruth's story is this. You thought it was good now. It's going to get better. Stay faithful. You think, well, it's hard right now, pastor. 
And if I continue to remain, if I continue to remain, remain faithful, it's going to get worse. You may be right, but eternity awaits. It's going to get better. Man, I don't know if you figured this out yet or not about the book of Ruth, but here it is. There's a glorious theme that just weaves itself throughout this book, and it's this. God will meet all of our needs according to his will. Naomi forgot this. And now she was reminded that she has a heavenly father who waits with open arms to welcome her back. And yet here we are on this side of the gospel, the other side of the gospel where we have seen the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But the reality is this, the story and the theme of the story remains unchanged. We have a heavenly father who waits with open arms to welcome us back. And so I want to leave you with this question. Where do you find yourself today? Do you come to worship bitter? Do you come to worship angry? Did you come in frustrated? Did you come in holding a grudge? Did you come in blaming God for your current circumstance? And if that's you, then do you now see that you serve and worship a God, the God, who is patient with you? Do you now see that you serve and worship the God who cares for you? Do you see now that you serve and worship the God who has provided all the good that you now have? Man, brothers and sisters, every step along the road of life can and will be hard. The reality is there may not be any ease. There may not be any comfort coming soon. However, we can rest in knowing that a day is coming where our burdens will be lifted. A day is coming where ease will come. A day is coming where our faithful God, by his grace and his love, will welcome us home. And on that day, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the covenant faithfulness that God continually shows us as we walk through life. And this is the covenant faithfulness that we now have because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Thanks be to God for his plan. Thanks be to God for his daily bread. Let's pray together.